Welcome to the Zones Women of Technology podcast. Today's podcast is being sponsored by Microsoft, a longstanding partner of Zones. My name is Julie Wagner, and I am your host for the podcast today. And I am so excited to introduce to you Don Hanks. Dawn is one of our directors of marketing over here at Zones, and she's also a strategic leader with 20 plus years of diverse experience with large and small international companies. She's got a strong focus on disrupting traditional ways of marketing and understanding customer segments to leverage existing and new opportunities. She has worked with brands like Nike, Oakley, Luxottica, and Milestone Systems. Additionally, she's also a certified DEIJ, which is diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice, and has worked as a public speaker and consultant on gender-related issues in the workplace. A Portland native, she enjoys facing her fears and trying new things, counts on her siblings as her best friends, is obsessed with her three nephews, and she loves to learn. So welcome to the podcast, Dawn. Thank you so much for having me, Julie. Yeah, I'm so excited you're here. So you have a ton of experience under your belt. So I'm really excited to have this genuine and authentic conversation with you today um, because I know that our listeners are just going to walk away with so many pearls of wisdom that they'll be able to put in in their little side pocket. No pressure at all. <laughs> no pressure at all, right? <laughs> all right. So, Don, let's go ahead. We're. I just. I would love to just dive in. Tell me and tell the audience a little bit more about what drives you. What drives your passion um, with with working with these organizations and and being a public speaker. You know, it's interesting to talk about what drives your passion. I think that um, learning is something that drives everybody's passion. As you learn more, you become more passionate about any given subject matter, right? But for me, really, in my experience, I started to become passionate about gender and gender-related issues because I saw a need for it in the workplace. I saw how women were treated differently. I saw the challenges and hurdles that we faced that weren't equivalent to the men that I was working with or working beside. And really, it became for me about fighting for that right to have equity in the workplace and being able to help lift up other women and empower them to be their best in the workplace. Okay, so Don, tell me you've you've got so much experience and I'm sure you've run into just hundreds and hundreds, probably if not thousands of people um as a public speaker and you've you've heard stories. So was there ever any stories that really stuck with you and made an impact on you? Was there like a particular one that that you'd like to share? You know, I think that there are tons of stories that you hear from women all over the place that talk about their experiences and what they have faced or the challenges that they've faced. But to be honest, the most impactful story for me is actually something that happened to me. I was working for an organization and a leader in that organization used the phrase, I don't know why we hire women in leadership positions when we're a men's company. And this phrase just set me on fire. I I can't explain it any other way than that. 
but to tell you that, yes, I was upset. Everyone in the room immediately knew I would be upset. Apparently, I had a reputation for fighting for women's rights and inequality in the office. But that particular statement just hit me. And it wasn't that I hadn't experienced bias in the workplace. It wasn't that I hadn't experienced discrimination, sexual harassment, all of those things I had experienced, as many women have. But it was such a bold statement to make. And it really affected me because it showed me that this person would limit my opportunities and and a person who thought this way would not allow me to move forward in my career and that also meant that the people that reported underneath of me if they were women their futures were limited and that was just something that stuck with me and changed my outlook and knew that I had to use my voice in that moment I couldn't just let that be a comment that slid by without some sort of response to it Wow. That's, that's really powerful. You know, I'm sure that, that we've, I'm sure that there are so many women in the workplace that have experienced that and they've just never spoken out about it. So what an incredible testament for you that you, you're known for standing up for women and standing up for the, the equitable rights within the workplace. Um, That's just incredible. That just hats off, hats off, big big round of applause. (laughs) And you know, while I appreciate that, I'm not even sure if applause is the appropriate response. I mean, it's great, but I I think that it was not responding to that comment and, and standing up for myself and for other women was not without a complication. Um, It was not an easy step to make. it was controversial at the time, but it really set me off on knowing that I deserved better and the women around me deserved better and I wanted better. And I thought about all of the times I hadn't spoken up. And I'm sure every woman out there has had microaggressions, macroaggressions, different things that have happened to them that have made them want to speak out, but they were fearful of it, fearful of retribution, fearful of what that would mean for their relationships in the workplace moving forward. And so it's not easy. And and I want to make that, that very clear that it's not an easy thing to stand up for yourself in the workplace, but it is, for me, it has been fully, um, it's changed my life. It's, it's made me realize that I can fight for things that maybe don't seem that important to other people, but are important to me and therefore important in the general scheme of things. That's incredible. That's just incredible. So, John, when we were talking during our pre-interview, um, just to preface for those who are listening today, uh, part of the podcast process is we do this pre-interview. So we're going to know um, what we're going to talk about and have a nice clear vision. So we don't, you know, give you a three hour podcast. <laughs> um, so in one of the bullet points that you sent over, Don, we were talking about privilege. So I'd, I think this is a really um, fantastic and eye opening subject. Um, so I'd like to, I'd like to talk about that right now with you. Sure. You know, we when we originally talked about subject matters to discuss, we talked about 
purpose and passion and and how to go after your purpose and how to live out your passions or or work in your passions and and the thing that i wanted to point out is that even being able to say those sentences is a privilege there are people all over the world that are working to work and they don't have any other choice to do that so talking about purpose and passion is a privilege in and of itself that doesn't mean that we should assume that it is bad um, it, it doesn't mean that we should have guilt around it, which a lot of people do. You know, the word privileged is used a lot in the lexicon these days, and oftentimes it has a negative connotation to it, and people are afraid to embrace that privilege. But the more of us that can embrace privilege and use it to help other people, then the more that privilege gets spread out amongst other people. Working in your purpose and, and working in your passion is a conversation that not everybody has to have. And if you are a person who is able to have it, then it is incumbent on you to use that and to follow it and to go after it and do it for the people who can't do it. I wholeheartedly agree with you. Um, you had a note on here that purpose and passion is not a destination, it's a journey. Uh, let's talk about that. I think that's something that that our listeners will really want to listen to and hear. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, when I say purpose and passion is not a destination, it's a journey. It's because I am a person who searched my entire life for my purpose or to find a passion. If you were to ask anybody in my history or in my background, whether it be a teacher or a employer, People will tell you I'm, I was passionate about everything. Like I worked in prescription eyewear for a number of years and people were like, you're so passionate about prescription eyewear. And that couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, I want people to protect their eyes. If you protect your eyes, you protect your overall health. I truly believe that. But what for me it was, it was about learning new things and becoming skilled in new things. And, and whatever it was that I was focused on that time became my passion, right? But the truth of the matter is I read every book about purpose. I read every self-help book you could possibly imagine on how to find your passion and how what your, you know, what your thing is. And I there's even a, a little folklore in my family where I would cry to my mom about finding my passion or what I'm good at or what my talent was. And I have five brothers and sisters and each one of them is so uniquely gifted and talented. And I would cry to my mom and say, why are they talented? And I don't have a talent. And my mom would say, your talent is business. And I'd be like, mom, that's not a talent. What are you talking about? And I'd just be so upset about it. And the thing is, is we look at talent and we look at purpose and we look at passion and we try to identify them in a really old fashioned way. For example, we don't we don't talk about what we love to do. We don't talk about what we like to do. We don't talk about what we're good at. We just ask our kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? And we start asking them this when they're five and six years old, when they have no concept of where their talents and skill sets lie, where they have no concept what they like beyond Legos, right? <laughs> and, and you hear these kids talk about it and they'll tell you they want to be a police officer, a fireman, an astronaut, a 
ballerina, you know, all of these different things, a veterinarian, because it's limited to what they see in their universe at five and six years old. But there's this old LinkedIn survey that asked adults what they wanted to be when they grew up as kids. And the top 10 answers were some of those careers I just listed, veterinarian, astronaut, policeman, fireman, actor, singer, ballet dancer. And then they asked the adults, what percentage of you actually do what you wanted to do when you were a kid? And the percentage was 8.9%. And I surprise me. Yeah, it's really, really yeah. low, right? And and part of that is because we're asking questions of a kid who doesn't have a worldview yet, right? Or their worldview is very limited. But part of that, I also think, is that we idealize jobs based on a perception of what they are. And we and people go after a job instead of people going after a purpose or a passion. Instead, we should be asking kids what they love to do. What makes them happy? What do they lose time doing? One of the things I ask in interviews of every single person that I interview is that exact question. If you are in the middle of the day and four hours have passed up and you look at the clock and it feels like only four minutes have passed, what were you doing? What did you lose time doing because you loved doing it so much or you were so lost in the concept of it? And a lot of times those aren't jobs. Those are things like talking, drawing, reading, their activities that we do, their hobbies that we do. But so often it's not that difficult to turn a hobby into a career. I can use myself as an example. In my baby book, it says that I started talking at six months old. Now the average baby starts talking in sentences at 18 months to two years. I was saying sentences at six months old, according to my mother. Now, all mothers exaggerate about their kids because they think they're fantastic and above anybody else. So who knows the reality of this, right? But it is physically written in my baby book that I was talking at six months of age. Every single report card I ever had said, you know, she loves to talk. She's got a good energy to her. She loves to make friends. She's a leader. Every single report card ever said that. A lot of them also said she should stop talking so much. Um, <laughs> so I got to be honest to give the good side and the bad side. But nobody says you're a good talker. Let's talk about what you can do in the future around talking. And I never knew that either. If you had told me I needed to speak in front of a room full of people, I cried. The first time I got on stage, I was shaking so hard and I cried on the stage in front of 800 people in a room. And everybody knew it and everybody was so kind to me afterwards because they could feel my energy and so forth. But less than three years later, I became a public speaker. And it wasn't because I wanted to, it's because I found what I was passionate about speaking about. And all of a sudden I looked at my history at every job I had ever said I wanted to be, a lawyer, a journalist, a teacher, an actress, a singer. It all had to do with expressing myself and expressing my opinions and speaking into the universe. There's so many careers that you can do that for. And I think that if we start talking to our kids, to our teenagers, and even to adults about what they actually enjoy doing, what helps them lose time, what gets them excited, that's the conversation that we need to be having. And then you can still be a marketer. You can still be someone in sales. You can still be someone in IT and you can be someone in finance, but you're leveraging your skill sets to do that job at a higher level and be more productive. That is 100% on point. 
I was getting a little emotional when you were talking about, <laughs> about, um, you know, being a kid, knowing what you want to do when you, when you're a kid, I wanted to be a dolphin trainer <laughs> uh, up until I, <laughs> I'm not even kidding up until I, I was getting ready to apply for college. And then I realized that I had to be really smart in science and, uh, science was not my strong suit sure. in high school. I was also a talker. Um, my report cards continuously said that Julie's a great student and she has lots of friends and she's very personable and we love her as a leader, but she talks a lot. And, um, for so long, I, I actually dealt with a lot of, um, self-doubt because of that, because that would be written on my report card. Oh, well, Julie talks too much. Julie yeah. talks too much. And I think that that actually took, um, it took a big mindset shift for me when I was in college, which was a long time ago now. Um, but it took that mind, sh that mindset shift of, okay, well, yeah, I talk a lot. I don't just talk to talk. I actually just, I love to just talk to people and get to know them and, and, um, which is what I think really moved me into the, the sales industry. Um, cause I love talking to people and I love to get to know them and, and then, and then helping them. So it's so interesting that you say that. I think that so many people, um, they just ignore that and they push it down. They, they do, they ignore that purpose and that, that, that thing that makes them feel like passionate and excited. Um, because... And it's because of something you just said too. What you just expressed was shame, right? Shame yep. around something that you enjoyed, shame around something that you were good at. And a lot of times as women, especially at a young age, we are shamed out of our purpose. We're shamed out of our passions. We're shamed out of our talents because either we're not supposed to do that as a girl or it's unbecoming of us, right? One of the things that I say all the time is the worst word in the English language for a woman is the word to, T-O-O, -O, because mm -hmm. we're often told we're to this, we're to that, we're not enough of this, we're not enough of that. And they use that clarifier before sentences to describe us, and that creates shame around us wanting to do the things that we love and that we enjoy. That's absolutely true. So what advice would you give to um, women in the workplace that are experiencing shame in their adult years. So say they've had that shame since they were a child and they just haven't broken out of that yet. Like they haven't been able to identify that that was shame. Cause I can guarantee you people listening right now, um, they're probably, there's going to be a ton of them that are having a, oh my gosh moment. Like, oh my gosh, that's what I've been experiencing. Mm -hmm. uh, what's, what's some advice you would give them to help identify that and then, and then break through that? You know, everyone is different and advice is probably the least thing I'm qualified to give. But what I would say is that authenticity is key and in finding out who you are and what drives you and in living that. And sometimes you can't live it out loud, right? You're, you have so much shame or you have so much baggage that you're carrying with you that it's hard to just one day open up and say, no more, I'm going to be authentically myself and I'm going to go out there and follow my dreams. That's really difficult to do. But there are baby steps that you can take by using your voice, by, um, you know, speaking out the things that you want, by being authentically you. A lot of people have a work self and they have a home self. 
And I am vehemently against that. I'm not saying my way is the right way or it's my way or the highway, but I am myself, whether I am at work or I am at home. And it took a really long time to do that. And I think some of that comes with age and confidence and the realization that you are who you are and not everybody's going to like it. And that's okay. I'm baffled by the fact that not everybody likes mint chocolate chip ice cream. I think it is delicious and I can't imagine why anybody wouldn't like it. But if there are people who don't like mint chocolate chip ice cream, then there are people that are not going to like me. And getting okay with that uncomfortableness of people not liking you, as long as you're being authentically you, I think that's the first step towards driving to that, is just realizing that we are all an acquired taste and quirkiness wins out every day of the week. And you know, there's this concept, Adam Grant will describe it much better than I will. And if you haven't read any Adam Grant, I hugely suggest that you do. But, you know, he talks about we live in a world where we're consistently looking for people that fit. We consistently say we need somebody who fits our culture, a culture fit for our organization. But what we should really be looking for is cultural collaboration and cultural contribution. What can this person bring to us that we don't already have? Because each of us is this unique and beautiful creature. I don't even know if creature is the right word, but each unique person, right, who has quirks and peccadilloes that make them an asset wherever they go. And once we start leaning into that contribution of people, instead of requiring them to fit into a box or into a structure of what we do, we'll have better organizations, we'll have higher performing organizations. Every research statistic that's out there says that the more diverse we are, not just in our people, yes, we want gender diversity, yes, we want ethnic diversity, racial diversity, religious diversity, all of these types of things, but it's really about diversity of thought and allowing there to be different opinions in the room. And for women, it's not being afraid to voice your opinion and knowing that your opinion is of value and is is going to contribute to a conversation. You know, 80% of the purchases made in this world are made by women. They're made or influenced by women. And a lot of people scoff at that number. But when you really look at it, I always say this to men in the audience, if a man went out and bought a car or a television without talking to his wife, is he gonna sleep on the couch that night? Or is he going to be, you know, apologize for it and everything's going to be good, right? These purchases are influenced by women for a reason. And that is power. There's power in that ability. There's power in that ability to make decisions. And companies need to align themselves to understanding that the values, opinions, and needs of women are what is driving capitalism. It's driving what spending habits in this country. And it's going to be what drives our businesses to be more productive in the future. That's fantastic. And, and speaking back to, um, identifying, like identifying the shame and changing the narrative on that, that's something that we can start teaching our kids. Um, it's, it's something that I, I, that's just stuff that our, our youth and our, our little, our little ones even need to hear. Um, well, it's, think about how we talk to our little ones or, yeah. or less about that. Think about how we talk around our little ones, mm-hmm. especially as women. We are trained and taught to be submissive. We're trained and taught to not um, we're taught to be humble. Right. But yeah. not not so humble 
it's hard to explain. We're, we're taught to diminish what our experience is. We're taught to not be confident in ourselves. We're, we're, we use humble in this weird way that we shouldn't celebrate our successes and our wins. And so we talk about ourselves horribly in front of our children. We talk about our weight. We talk about our looks. We talk about our talents, our skill sets. And often we do it in a negative way. And then we expect our children to be positive about their characteristics and the things that they have in their life. But they follow what they see and what they learn. And so being kinder to ourselves, being more accepting of our ourselves, allowing that grace to be with us, not just with the people around us. There should be nobody that treats me better than me. There, right? It's just as simple as that. That's fantastic. Okay. So I want to, I want to shift a little bit. I want to talk about, um, the company that you founded. Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about it. Why don't you tell the, tell our listeners about the company that you founded? So about eight or nine years ago, I had quit my job and was going to speak on gender-related issues. Um, and mostly it was around buying habits and shopping habits and why women shop and, and what women contribute to the global economy. And, um, you know, started it out was known for giving a tour around why women shop in the optical industry with my time at Oakley and really got to be able to understand that there was so much more to that conversation around gender. And, and it wasn't just the workplace. It was our educational institutions. It was students. It was, you know, young girls and it was more mature aged girls such as myself um, that really needed to have the conversation. And so I started the business. It later kind of morphed into something bigger, which is what it is now. It's called Eliminate Girl Hate. And basically what we do is break down biases and barriers by telling stories to, for, and about women that help to create more equitable and empathetic spaces for anyone who identifies as girl. And it's really about changing the narrative around what it means to be a girl and changing this message that we should have hate for ourselves and for others who identify as girls. That's so incredible, especially in today's, today's society. That's, we need, we need that reminder. We need people to advocate for that um and educate on it so that is so incredible I love it I love it okay so I'm I know that you and I could probably talk for another hour um (laughs) (laughs) if not longer and it would just be amazing um but I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and we'll start wrapping up I do have a question for you what is the one question you wish I'd asked you and how would you have answered it Oh my goodness. That's a hard question. (laughs) Um, you know, I, I don't know if I have a question I wish you had asked. Um, I think that that would be a little self-centered of me to say, I wish you would have asked about this. I'm glad that you asked about eliminate girl hate. I think while it is my passion project and and purpose, a lot of people in this organization or around us wouldn't necessarily know that that's something I care about or love and and put my energy around it. So I'm, I'm happy that you asked me about that. And I'm really happy that we discussed this concept of shame around women. I think that that is a much bigger conversation that to your point could go on for hours and, and how do we address that and, and how do we move forward and get out of that and become the confident women that we're, we're meant to be. 
So I'm really glad that you asked those questions. So I don't feel like you missed anything. Oh, well, good. That means that I was spot on with you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So John, where can our listeners find you online? So you can find me at eliminategirlhate.com. It's uh, Eliminate Girl Hate on Instagram as well. Or you can find me at Don Hanks on Instagram. Well, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast, Dawn. It was such an incredible eye-opening conversation. I really believe that this conversation is going to make an impact on so many different people um, throughout our organization and throughout any of our listeners that are listening to us on the platforms that we are streaming on. So today, Dawn and I talked about shame. We talked about identifying shame. We talked about purpose and passion. Uh, we also talked about permission. So I think these are really great conversations to continue to have after this podcast. So wherever you're listening to, if you're listening in our company podcast, we have a broadcast every month about it. Or if you're listening to this on Spotify or on the web, you know, please feel free and reach out to John and myself. Um, we would love to continue this conversation with you. This, this is the kind of conversations that warrant a lot of talking and a lot of understanding and a lot of patience and grace. And, um, I'm just so excited. It was such a great podcast. So again, thank you so much for joining me today. Today's podcast is being brought to you by Microsoft. Again, I'm going to say it again for you. Microsoft is one of our long standing partners of zones and we value the partnership with them. Don't forget to catch up on any of our past podcasts found on Spotify streaming 24 seven. Again, my name is Julie Wagner, and I am your host over here at the Zones Women of Technology podcast. Until next time, 